So what we're seeing with this great wealth transfer is with the baby boomers aging in the next decade, there's going to be a transfer of about $30 trillion. Wow. And women are going to receive a large proportion of that. And when you look at in the United States, the amount of money that women had in 2010 was 34 trillion. And by the end of this year, women are expected to hold $72 trillion. I believe that what we do as women in the privacy of our own minds is the single greatest determinant of our lives. I'm Emma Title, and you are listening to the Women Today podcast, where we are unpacking and investigating the new female psychology. I am a psychotherapist, coach, and teacher who is passionate about women's internal and external freedoms. You are in the right place if you want to hear in-depth stories about women's lives. On this show, we dig deep into the minds and hearts of women to understand what it really takes to heal, to grow, and to experience psychological freedom so that we can create lives of authenticity, fulfillment, and contribution. This is a place to receive nourishment, inspiration, and guidance as we continue to show up for the complexity and nuance of our lives as women. I'm so glad that you're here, and let's get started with today's episode. Hi, and welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Women Today. And I am loving this month's theme and the conversations that we're having around women and money. As a quick reminder, before I introduce today's guest to you all, this month of March only, I am doing a special book giveaway. So if you head on over to Women Today on Apple Podcasts and you leave a rating and a review for the show, snap a quick screenshot and then email it to me at emma at emmatitle.com. Along with your mailing address, I will be putting some of my favorite women and money books in the mail to you as a gift and as an expression of my gratitude for you taking the time to leave a rating and a review. All right, so today we are continuing the conversation and the exploration around women and money, and we have a really wonderful guest. Robin Catlin is a managing director at Family Matter Office. She runs the Denver office and leads the culture and legacy division for the firm and client teams. She is passionate about supporting the growth and development of human capital, both for employees and for clients. Robin is a true lifelong learner who advocates for the importance of building trust, communication, and financial literacy skills in her work with clients. Most recently, prior to Matter, she was a vice president at J.P. Morgan's private bank, where she provided strategic advice to high net worth individuals and families on lending and capital structure, investments, deposits, and wealth transfer. She is passionate about giving back and is a member of Social Venture Partners and a trustee on her family's foundation. She enjoys skiing, running, and spending time with her husband, Dan, and their three children. And this interview is so rich and covers so many different topics. We get deep into the great wealth transfer that's currently going on as we speak, which we go into explaining, but is essentially about how much money and economic power is coming into the hands of women right now. We talk about what human capital actually is, 
Robin shares some with us about her experiences working in a primarily male-dominated industry of financial services. And we go deep into understanding how women can get more empowered in their financial lives and why money is about so much more than money itself. I know you're going to enjoy this interview so much. It provoked so many deep thoughts and questions for me. And it also got me really excited about the opportunity that is on the table for us as women as we come into this new form of economic power collectively that we've just never before seen in history. So enjoy, and I look forward to connecting soon. Welcome, Robin. I'm so incredibly excited and honored to have you here on the Women Today podcast. It's good to see you. I'm excited to be here too. I'm excited for our conversation today. Me too. I'm I'm sort of chomping at the bit per usual. And I have so many things I want to talk with you about. You know, the listeners got to hear a bunch about your professional background and training. And I always like to start more in the personal realm. So I'm wondering if you'd be willing to share with us a bit about your background and how you got interested in financial services in the first place. Sure. Great question. Yeah, I really think my interest in financial services really did start with my family. Um, I heard from my father, who was in asset management, about the importance of understanding money and understanding the economy and understanding how companies work. So I definitely feel like from an early age, I recognized there was energy and power around money and understanding how it works. So that was definitely in the background of my experience. And then I would say when my parents got divorced when I was in eighth grade, I saw my mom struggle with being financially independent as far as her, really just her ability of knowing how to do it. She'd really relied on my dad to manage the finances, do the tax returns, and seeing her experience of trying to figure it out in her 50s definitely left me with the experience of wanting to be empowered and understand these things. So that's what I think initially drew me to it. I think it was pretty subconscious as far as how I got into it. And I think really I connect to what Steve Jobs said, as far as like how you build your career, that you can't always connect the dots looking forward, that it really, you can connect them looking back. So I would say for me, there was kind of a spark that brought me into it, but the journey and really what I'm the most passionate about has really grown over time. And I definitely have gathered all of the financial skills and the technical components as a certified financial planner and somebody with an MBA. But I would say what I'm the most passionate about is really where financial and human capital come together. And that piece has really grown over time just with my experience as a woman working in this field, my experience with clients, and also my intentionality really around service and helping people 
be empowered about their wealth and feeling intentional because they really think that to be able to use money and be able to use it in service, there's a process that has to happen to come into relationship with money. And I have found that money is incredibly loaded for everybody. And it's a topic that isn't talked about very often. I think people are more comfortable talking about sex than they are talking about money. And I just think there's a lot of assessments and stories and meaning making around money that's quite subconscious. So I think there's just this area fascinates me. Oh, I love everything you're saying. It fascinates me too. And I, I want to get in there about what exactly is human capital. But before we go there, what has it been like over the course of your career? I know there's been a lot of different phases and iterations, mm-hmm. but you are in a primarily male dominated industry. And as you gave that example with your mom, you know, it's, you're an outlier, less and less so, but how has your personal experience been in your work life? Yeah, it's interesting. I'm in my mid forties now, and I would say I have seen things change since I first started in my twenties. I feel as though there've been advantages in being a woman, like especially in my twenties, I was often one of the very few women in the room, which did provide opportunities but it definitely has created challenges as well. And I would say the things that kind of stand out to me, one is I feel like as a mom, especially with young children, I didn't have, I didn't feel as though I had a lot of role models as far as how to balance things in that work environment. So that was definitely one piece. And then I would say the other piece and this is also in reflection, is that I can see how I really leaned on my masculine energy early in my career. And I felt as though to be heard in my 20s and 30s, I had to really turn my back on some of my more feminine energies. And I would say it's really been interesting in the last 10 years, to really be embracing and recovering those um, and, and actually recognizing bringing my wholeness, bringing my heart, bringing my authenticity is actually such a gift that I had thrown out the window. And I think for the rest of my career, I'll be balancing those pieces. And, and I look at male and female energy, like we all have both. And so just wanting to embrace that balance, but I do feel as though there was an element of being a woman in this male dominated environment that he didn't have a lot of role models to know how to do that. And I didn't even know I was doing it at the time, but it's been fun playing with that and and recovering that piece of myself and seeing with my colleagues, as a manager of people, and with clients, like, wow, this is a whole piece that I had turned my back on that really enhances who I am and how I show up and how I can be in service. I love that. And I love feeling the trajectory of, 
you know, what you felt you needed to do probably as you were proving yourself and gaining status in the field and recognition. And then now you're in a point in your life where you can bring more of your wholeness. I mean, I'm sure it serves your clients so much. Yeah, it's a fun process for sure. And it's evolving. (laughs) Yeah. So that brings me, can you define what is human capital and like, what does that mean exactly? Because I'm in my imagination, I'm thinking you bringing more of your feminine aspects and wholeness is related to that interest. Absolutely. I think of human capital as really being the unique stories, the values, beliefs, your legacy. I think it includes emotional and physical well-being. I think it's your talents and your passions. It's really broad to me. It's really connected to your thriving as an individual. That's how I define it. It's pretty, it's pretty broad. Beautiful. And so your work is to, you're helping people manage their money and their wealth, but then bringing in the conversations about all those things that you just named and how that relates to money. Exactly. I guess I I feel as though there's a lot of focus on the financial capital. I mean, when you think about the number of professions that work in that space, whether it's an investment advisor or a CPA for taxes or an estate attorney, there's lots of professions that manage the technical components. But then when you think about the human elements of wealth, there is not as much support and service. And for me, I really think about how do they come together? And instead of just focusing on the financial capital, I look at it as there's lots of different types of capital. There's the human capital, there's the intellectual capital. Like, what do you, what do you know? What have you learned? Your, there's your social capital, which relates to your relationships and your contribution to the world. You could look at your impact capital or your spiritual capital. And how do we use the financial capital as the support of these other areas? So it's almost flipping it on its head. Like what, what is it that you really desire? What is your purpose? What is your vision? And how does the financial capital, how is it in service of those things? So it's, to me, kind of flipping the conversation and pulling together. Yeah, I love this so much. I feel like this is the thing that has gotten me so excited about money and money conversations over my life so far is, is that flip of like, how do we use the money? Um, One of our recent guests talked about like empowering your money for good. Mm -hmm. How do we use it as a tool to fuel all of these other areas of life? as opposed to life being about just getting the money. Exactly. Exactly. You got it. That's, that's how I think about it. And it's, it's not a one and done process. It's an ongoing iterative dance that happens over time. So 
it's an interesting kind of evolution um, within an individual or a family culture of how do those pieces come together. Beautiful. Okay, so this is great sort of foundational context. And I want to switch gears a little bit to talk about a major, major transition that's going on definitely in the United States, but I know also across the globe in many different countries around this great wealth transfer Mm -hmm. um, into the hands of women. And I'm wondering if you can break it down for us about like what is exactly happening and what are the elements that women who are listening need to be thinking about with this more collective transition we're going through? Mm -hmm. Great question. I think we're really at an exciting time. So what we're seeing with this great wealth transfer is with the baby boomers aging in the next decade, there's going to be a transfer of about $30 trillion. Wow. And women are going to receive a large proportion of that. And when you look at in the United States, the amount of money that women had in 2010 was 34 trillion. And by the end of this year, women are expected to hold $72 trillion. Oh my gosh. Whoa. Yeah. So a big transition is happening. And I think for women, we are building wealth on our own. We're taking on more female leadership. We are attaining more financial roles and responsibilities beyond just controlling like the spending of a household budget. So I think there's a massive opportunity. I think that women have really unprecedented power to influence society right now and and what's coming. So to me, this feels like such an important time to have this conversation because I think as this is happening, I'm hoping we can have intentionality to really step in. I think that there's a seat at the table for women. And I think we, we need to take this opportunity to embrace this. And I just think that learning about money and having financial literacy is really about independence, opportunity, power, freedom, and a chance to really make a difference in society by by using the power of money in a really positive way. I totally agree with all of that. And gosh, so this is this is a massive exponential leap. Um, when you talk about having the power to make a positive difference, can you break that down a little bit more? Mm-hmm. Because basically all this money could go into the hands of women and we could not see change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of like the conversation around women in the workplace. Like you can insert women into the workplace But going back to what you said, you know, we can just insert women into the workplace, but not actually welcome or embrace or allow for the influence of the different assets or values women might bring to the workplace. And I think it's similar where it's like women can get this money and just do the same thing that's been going on, or they could get this money and do something different. Definitely. I mean, I think 
that we want to make sure that with having this opportunity that we really make the most of it. And to me, I think there's, there's steps in that. I think one is when all of a sudden you do have the opportunity to have control around wealth, there's, is an integration that's like really more like the psychology component of it that I have seen having worked a lot with um, ultra high net worth families and inheritors that even to come into the place where you feel as though you can give the money away or invest it in things that you believe in, there is a process of kind of absorbing the meteorite of what that means to to who you are. Um, I think there is a little bit of a difference that I've seen when you've earned it versus when you've inherited it. I, I have seen that. But I think that the question you were asking, I think having the, the voice at the table to speak out because money does create the opportunity to um, be heard. So I think having that voice and I think philanthropy and giving money away, but not just the money, but your time and, and putting that together. I think that's really powerful. And then I think in the impact investing space, which I think is still really nascent, I think there's a huge opportunity there. But I think to get there, there can be state stages with the psychology component, figuring out who you are, what you care about, so that it's connected to your values. I think that's where the rubber hits the road when you can connect the money to what's really meaningful to you. Because there's the money part and then there's your voice and your time and your energy. And to me, when they all come together, that's a really powerful punch. Absolutely. So when you work with women who are responsible or maybe their family is responsible for wealth, what are you noticing about gender dynamics? And like, does a woman having more money necessarily equate her feeling more empowered or um, in charge of how that money is getting managed? Not necessarily. I think with support and a process over time, I think it absolutely is possible. But if nobody is really paying attention, I, I have seen I'm still seeing sometimes that women aren't jumping up into the cockpit and kind of in the front of the airplane. I do see that women, I'm generalizing here, I do think that women really care about how the wealth affects the community, how it affects their family, and a little bit more of a strategic viewpoint, I do think, so I, and I do think impact and philanthropy would be the areas I see women in, really do engage. But I still think we have a lot of room for growth as far as the real um, brass and tackle kind of elements of wealth, whether it's the financial planning and the investment piece. And I do think that the financial literacy, like really diving in and, and understanding it. and and not on your own. Like, I think that, I do think we need to normalize that we don't learn this in school typically. Yeah. And really break it down, like ask questions, be curious, find people 
who are willing to engage in that process with you and not make you feel left out or that if you don't know that there's a judgment. I think that there is a terminology with all this, this world, but I think that if you find the right people, it doesn't have to be so intimidating. Yeah, I really want to highlight what you're saying. And I'll just share a little bit personally that I, you know, I come much from the human connection, human services realm, and they don't teach financial literacy, like not even the basics, but beyond the basics, how to build wealth. And they don't teach it in Mm -hmm. schools. I think, you know, some people are working on trying to change that, but I was so much in the writing realms, the communication realms, the human connection realms. And so me having any interest or love of numbers or money was very surprising, but it was through books and Mm -hmm. through talking to people. So I basically used the things that I was strong at and naturally gravitated toward, which was like learning and books and conversation. And that's how I got way more empowered with money. So Mm. I'm sharing that because for anybody who's listening, it's like, if you want to get more empowered and in charge, as you're saying, which, which many women are not feeling in relationship to their money, I recommend that folks look at where they are already naturally engaging or behaving and just try to couple that with with the money conversation. You know, if you like audios, listen to podcasts. If you want to read, read books. Um, if you want to talk to people, talk to people. But it's like, I, I want women to understand that even the way that financial knowledge has been transferred historically, we're in a time of change. So for those of us who don't feel like we naturally gravitate toward this stuff, there's a way for us to still learn and get empowered. Absolutely. I really think follow the spark, whatever it is that has a little bit of interest, go there. Um, And I really, I just think, I think about knowing about this is really, it is economic self-defense. I mean, I was just thinking this past week, unfortunately, somebody stole my identity. Oh dear, I'm so sorry. Yeah, but I, knowing, okay, what do I need to do? I need to freeze my credit. I need to, you know, what are the steps I need to take? It just, it's really important, even more so today, just having that information and, and knowing who can help you if if you don't know. And it just gives a, a sense of empowerment that I think um, I hope for for all women that we can move more towards that. And I feel like as a advisor, I I get goosebumps when I say this. I I really am excited for more women to engage more proactively. I can't wait to see the influence that will have on the industry. It's so needed. Um, and as an advisor, I just can't wait until there's more and more women that I'm actively working with. I think it's so it's so needed, and it will be exciting to see how the industry in and of itself changes as a result of that. Yeah, yeah. I'm so excited as well, because what I'm getting as I'm listening to you is like we 
the future is unwritten. Like we really don't know where this great transfer of wealth could lead us because women have never had this much economic resource or power. That's right. I think really diversity, all kinds of diversity, and we're speaking about gender diversity today will really elevate all of us and the conversation will change. And I, I, you know, I definitely would say since my twenties, things have definitely improved, but the opportunity set is even bigger. Like we are just sitting at a really exciting time, but the intentionality that I think is really important to embrace the opportunity is right here, which is why this conversation is so rich. Yeah. Beautiful. So we've kind of been touching on this in different ways, but I'm wondering for women who are listening, you know, regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless of where they're at on their journey with money, how would you recommend that women get more involved and confident in the realm of finance? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think really getting more involved, I think being curious, finding, like you were saying, the avenue that feels the most comfortable, finding the right people to be supportive. I do think trying to do it all on your own, I think can be really hard. So I think if you like to work with other people and you have the resources to invest in that, finding the right fit of people that aren't going to be selling you products. I think how people get paid is really important. Um, and the fit. So if you're looking for someone, wait until you find the right person that really you feel you can trust, because I think that's essential. So I think it's about really taking, taking charge. I also think talking about money and relationships is, is really another piece, just how it fits in to all the relationships in your life. And if you have a significant other bringing them into that conversation. Cause I think that's an area I know in my own relationship, like, gosh, I wish somebody when, when I was first engaged, sat down and said, so like, what is your relationship with wealth? What are the money stories that you have? How do you budget right now? Who's going to pay for what? Instead of even as someone who's in this field, we bumped along <laughs> on our own. And I just think there's a lot of power in literally just unsurfacing it and bringing it more, bringing light to all of it and being, exploring the conversation. I couldn't agree more. And it's when I work with couples, it's actually one of my favorite things to support them with. Kind of related to what you were describing earlier, because in Barry Tesler, a wonderful financial therapist who was on the show earlier this month, she talks about, it's a chapter in her book, it's, it's about the money and it's not about the money. And so I love getting in there with couples because I'm like, through the money, we get to talk about values, priorities, differences, goals, dreams, trauma, family of origin, right? Because we're all coming to money from very different places. Um, so it's such a rich doorway to be able to get to know one another and also figure out as a couple, like how do we, we wanna do this? Because it's such a big area of life. 
I totally agree. Yeah, there's lots to explore and kind of peel away the layers of the onion, what's, what's underneath, and just the assumptions that I think I know I have made and others assuming that the other person is on the same place, but we all come from our own backgrounds and origins. And our relationship with money is often quite different. And until we explore that, it can create challenges and tensions. Absolutely. So that has me curious. Um, I know that in your career, you've mostly worked with very high net worth individuals and families. And I think, you know, everyone listening is going to be coming from different socioeconomic backgrounds and histories. But I think in general, in culture and in society, there can be this mirage or, or sort of this mystique that those who are wealthier, ultra high net worth, that that's somehow better or life is better, life is happier, all problems are solved with money. And I'm wondering, since you've had an insider's look, if you could just share with us what you've actually observed and kind of debunk that myth a little bit. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think I think of wealth as being an accelerant. I think in general family systems are challenging. We don't get to pick our family and every family has its unique ins and outs. And then I think when you add money and resources on top of that, it kind of, to me, is like imagining a campfire and you just put oil on it. It just makes things bigger. So I think that the care around trust and communication and then preparation around understanding kind of the rules of the road to me are so important within these families. Um, and there are unique challenges that I've seen that come out of a lot of wealth. And I would say they, they relate to kind of on an individual level, the individuation sense of purpose. I think money can get confusing and dilute that process. Who am I in the context of this wealth? Who am I in relationship to the wealth creator who is often a big person, extremely successful? And how does that inheritor relate to who they are next to that. And then I think there's kind of the entitlement or denial spectrum, which are both challenging. So kind of living in relationship with it. And then within the family system, I've, I've seen challenges around communication and then kind of the lack of alignment around the purpose of the wealth. Like let's say there's a shared family vacation home without some formality and some, some rules, it can turn into a divisive situation. So those are kind of like the, the things that I've seen. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. Did you watch the recent Oprah interview with Megan and Harry? I did. Okay. I watched it twice because it hit everything that fascinates me. So I, and I've always had a deep love for Harry Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just, I think of them and I think of, you know, money, money certainly came into play as they talked about with everything that, you know, they and their families went through, 
but them having enough money wasn't really the issue. It was all of these other things that you're describing around it. Mm-hmm. And and now, you know, my heart broke for, for everyone involved, really, because it's so much rupture and it will probably take a lot to repair it. Yeah, that was a really interesting interview. There was a lot to unpack in that situation. And I, yeah, I really agree with you. Money, money doesn't solve all the problems. I mean, I think, you know, when you're looking at like the core, once you get beyond kind of basic needs, I think, of course, you know, once you, if you don't have your food and your shelter, I think money is core just for survival. But once you get beyond that, I don't think having all the money in the world solves all the problems. I think it creates other complexities that that need to be need to be navigated. Yeah. Yeah, and I I remember reading once somebody did research about how for households I think that earns 75,000 and maybe this has changed but that money, like up until that point, there was a correlation between happiness or well-being and money. But then above 75,000, that correlation stopped really. Do you know what I'm referring to? I know exactly what I've I've heard that same thing, sort of like Maslow's pyramid. Like I, I, I think those, those numbers still stand true. I think, I think that's right. I think it's easy in today's world to sort of glamorize, um, the reality TV of what it looks like. And I think our society is so consumption-based. Like it's all about if I have this, I will be. Um, It's not so much about the being, but it's about the having. But I think as you and I, I I would imagine have both experienced the being is much more connected to one's well-being than the having. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. So I want to come at something from a slightly different angle. And again, we've been talking about it, but you've been talking about essentially women's psychologies and how even if there is money to be managed, sometimes women are not feeling like they can get in the ring, so to speak, or they don't know how. But there are also other barriers, I think, that go on for women um, in terms of both earning and managing being educated. And I'm wondering if you could just speak to some of those barriers and also how you might see women combating or overcoming some of those barriers. Sure. Yeah, I think women, we are often the caretakers as mothers and also of aging parents. So I think it's more common that women take some time off working. I think There's the fact that women are still earning a lot less. I I read recently that women are earning 80% of their male counterparts, which just blows me away. Like, how is that possible? Um, And I do think that how we've evolved as far as maternity leave and childcare and really just support for mothers hasn't iterated or moved forward as much as I would like to see for sure. I just think the opportunities for women to keep their foot in the door and maybe 
they don't want to go 65 miles per hour. They want to go 35 miles per hour while they have young children. I just don't think that we've evolved to get to that place. So I think there's those elements. I do think that the industry that supports um, wealth management is still needing to move in a little different of a way. Like I think there's still quite a male focus to it. I think the number of female wealth advisors is still like 20%. So it's quite low. Um, and I think that, as I said before, the language of investing in financial planning can be really intimidating. So I think you have all these pieces going on that aren't exactly helping. And, in, and at some level, I think even just naming them helps, like putting them all out there so that if they're not kind of laid out on the table, how can we address them and make a difference? But I think that there is an ability as women have more of the opportunity, have more of the control and take on that kind of ownership, then there's the power to even change these things, speak up against these things and help out. I mean, I was just thinking as a, as a woman who did struggle with young kids, I, just before we got on today, a young woman who just had her first child emailed me who's in our industry. And she said, I'd really like to talk to you. You've been in my shoes before. How have you navigated this? And I think those of us who have been in those places to be a resource, lend a hand and kind of help move this along and be supportive of one another. I think there's huge opportunity in that. I love all of this. And I, I'm so glad she reached out to you because I just remember, I'll share this story. Um, my first year, year and a half postpartum, it was really hard for me. Per, like just individually for things that were going on for me. I've talked some about that on the podcast, but there was something else going on, which is that I had been so work identified, so committed to my career, loved my career, had worked so hard to get to where I had gotten to in my career. And I didn't know how motherhood was going to affect that. So I I fortunately, because I work for myself, had a lot of flexibility. And so I knew there was sort of this amorphous plan of what was work and motherhood going to look like. But then as I experienced firsthand the sheer demand of caring for an infant and breastfeeding and mm -hmm. sleep deprivation, my capacity to work the way I had been or even think the way I had been was so dramatically changed. And when you're going through it, like for anybody listening who might be going through that or, you know, is anticipating that it's like, it feels so individual. Mm -hmm. It feels like, oh, this is just me wrestling and confused. But I remember one day doing the dishes and listening to a podcast that was titled, this is intense, but it says, does America hate women? And I could not stop listening to this podcast because it was all about a woman calling out how our maternity and parental leave structures basically ensure that women will be unhealthy, depleted, 
not able to get back up and engaged in their career in different ways, or will do so with huge personal compromises and sacrifices. And she just broke down the whole thing in a way that made me feel so much less alone. And it made me realize this is not just me wrestling with motherhood and work. This is, this is a problem because we aren't protected in that first year after bringing a child into the world. So I know I'm kind of going off, but it was like, I want people to hear this, that we do need to support each other. And we do need to recognize that right now, and people are working hard to change this, but the systems and the institutions are not set up to support women to do both. We have to work really hard and get a lot of support and camaraderie Mm -hmm. to do both working and mothering. I totally agree. I, it was not an easy transition for me and my kids are, my youngest is now 12, but, and I think I've become just so much more gracious with myself of how the balance is. And I do find myself now in an environment where there's um, lots of women, but that wasn't the case earlier. But I think being supportive of one another, and I always try to go out of my way when somebody's new to motherhood in a work environment to just be that place to say, anything's welcome here. And this isn't easy um, so that they don't feel so alone. Cause I remember feeling that too. Yeah. It's, I'm glad, you know, I've always been in very female dominated workspaces because of my industry and my specification in women's health. And so in that way, I felt really blessed that, there was a lot of support because it's like you you can have as much empathy and care across difference, but if you haven't gone through it or you don't identify with the experience, it's hard to really grok what it is. Exactly. Yeah, I don't think, I, I know from my own experience, I had no idea what it was going to feel like to be a mom, to be a working mom until I got there. I just, there was no way to anticipate for me. I love this conversation so much, Robin. So I have one final question for you, which is if I handed you a microphone and told you that every woman across the world could hear and receive your message, what would you most want them to hear? I would want them to hear, don't be so hard on yourself. I would say, trust yourself listen, and really give yourself time to hear that little voice inside. I, I read Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed, and for any of you who've read it, um, the part about the cheetah, I just think that there's so much wisdom that each of us contain and giving the care to oneself to really be able to hear that soft little voice and trust it because it is it is wise and knowing. Thank you so much, Robin. Thank you. This has been a great conversation. Really enjoyed spending the time with you. Thank you so much for listening to the Women Today podcast. If you liked this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and take a moment to leave a rating and a review. 
The more five-star ratings this podcast gets, the more easily women around the world will be able to access this valuable information. Remember, we each have our unique role to play in this collective uprising for women all over the world. Whoever you are and wherever you find yourself in this moment, there is a deep intelligence to your particular place in the wider web, and we need the specific experiences, insights, and gifts that only you carry. I am sending you my heartfelt strength and support for wherever you are on the journey, and I'll look forward to connecting again next week.